Uh, Father, we thank you for the blessing of this day and we thank you for the blessing of being able to gather together in this way this morning. Uh, Lord, we pray as we come to look at your word together now that you would speak it into our hearts. Uh, we pray, Father, that we might be transformed for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Uh, and we do pray, Lord, that you might drive away every distraction, our weariness and anything else um, that would prevent us from hearing you speak. I pray that the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, last week we looked at uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and we're thinking about the difference uh, that news makes, the difference that the news makes to us. Our news feeds provoke anxiety and worry, sadly sometimes leaving us feeling weak and under threat by enemies. Whereas the real news, the good news, the gospel news, the death and resurrection of Jesus is a sure ground of our certain hope. The sure and certain hope of life beyond the grave. This news leads us to look out on a world as desperate and broken and in need of a gracious, merciful saviour. And uh, leaves us, I think, longing for opportunities to engage in a world, to speak into a world like that. Uh, and so today, in the second of our three-part series, we're going to focus on what it means to live as people of hope. So can I ask, do you feel like you are a person of hope? Uh, would others say that you are a person of hope? Do you feel like that? Would you identify yourself as that? Have you ever described yourself as a man of hope? Is it maybe your ambition to one day grow up to be a man of hope? Can I say, before you think too long about those things, the fact that I would ask those things just tells you how deeply affected by my culture I am. They're actually weird questions. They're weird questions. Um, as you think about the answer to, the, to those kinds of questions about hope, uh, what is likely to be provoked in you is guilt. What is likely to be provoked in you is a sense of unworthiness, that you're letting the side down or something like that. We're so used to earning and creating and cultivating our identity, our sense of self, that we project out to the world and all of it's such hard work and it all misses the gospel point that we are who God has made us, who God has created us. We are by God's mercy born again into a living hope and so we need to listen to what God says about who we are and not try and generate that out of ourselves. And so we're going to turn to 1 Peter. So please open your Bible, 1 Peter. We're going to start in chapter 1 um, uh, and then skip through, but we're going to settle uh, mostly in chapter 2. Uh, chapter 1, those who follow Jesus are actually born again into a living hope, a hope for all of life, a hope full life, a hope that is alive. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, 
He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Last week, uh, those of us who are here were reflecting on the truth that Christian hope is completely founded on the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, if there's no physical resurrection of Jesus, there is no hope of life beyond the grave. There is no Christian hope. There is only wishful thinking. The hope we have as Christians looks back to the resurrection of Jesus and looks forward to his return, to a new heavens and a new earth that will be ushered in then. So if you skip across to verse 13, 1 Peter 1 verse 13, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with imperishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. You see, it's the resurrection hope that changes everything about life here and now. The more we fix our eyes on Jesus, the more our hope now is stirred. We are transformed to be hopeful, full of hope, people, hope-dominated people. We are meant to be identifiably people of hope because we look to Jesus. And because we look to Jesus, our lives will be transformed into his likeness. That's the difference that having a hope pinned to him makes. Peter expects that this hope will make such a difference that other people will notice, that other people will see and be curious. And so in chapter 3, he writes 1 Peter 3, 15, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do you see? People will notice if we have been transformed by focusing on Jesus to such a degree that we set our hope on him. So are you a person of hope? Is your identity tied up with the hope of the resurrection, the living hope? Do you recognise you don't become a person of hope by hoping more? It's not by how much effort you put into your hope. 
You become a person of hope by being born again into a living hope by the mercy of God. That's what makes you a man of hope. So, let's do that together for a little while and focus on the person of the Lord Jesus and how his identity gives us our identity. Uh, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 12, and I'm going to stop jumping around at this point and just focus on these verses. It's okay, it's all right. 1 Peter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Do you hear how clearly it talks about who Jesus is and therefore who you are? his identity and yours. Uh, Jesus is, verses 4 and 6, do you see, the chosen and precious cornerstone. Uh, precious is a good word uh, to describe a stone. Uh, my wife likes those. Uh, if it were up to her, we would carry rocks on the plane with us every time we came back from somewhere. <laughs> but that's not what precious means here. Uh, precious means more honoured. It's about who declares this thing to be precious. It, it is honoured by God. Jesus is honoured by God. Verse 6, in his holy city Zion, God has chosen and placed Jesus as the cornerstone. That is how he has honoured him. And the point of the cornerstone is that every other stone that he's laid is connected to and takes its bearing from this one stone. Uh, when I was a labourer, I was a bit shocked to realise that builders will tell you when the wall is true. Have you ever met a false wall? <laughs> well, if you live in King Street or Little Queen Street, you have, right? <laughs> because the thing about a false wall is it's not straight, it's bent or leaning or got a bow in it what is true is aligned to the cornerstone the cornerstone gives the wall its direction the floor its height the cornerstone determines what is true 
and the whole of the rest of the building takes its shape, its structure, off the cornerstone and that is the position that God has honoured Jesus with. And it's this stone at the end of verse 7 that the builders reject, the head of the corner. It's not the capstone, the top of the archway, it's the head of the corner, it's the cornerstone, the stone that determines what is true, that's what people reject. They do not want Jesus having this place. That's what people object to. But Jesus is chosen and honoured by the Father with exactly that role. At the same time, he's in verse 8, the stone that causes people to stumble and the rock that makes it fall for the same, uh, makes them fall for the same reason. Those who don't believe, uh, or in fact up in verse 4, humanity generally, reject Jesus. They stumble over him. Uh, notice too, right at the start of verse 4, that Jesus is also the living stone. Uh, Peter's already highlighted this for us at the start of the letter, uh, that Jesus' resurrection is the key to our hope. Um, Jesus is alive and active today. He's a living stone who continues to be rejected by humanity. But he's chosen and honoured by the Father. And do you see the connection between Jesus' identity and the honouring of the Father and you, you also, who like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. Do you hear what the Bible says about who you are? Uh, you slide through a bunch of pictures or metaphors here, but the basic point is that those who believe in Jesus are giving in, given a new birth into a living hope and are identified with him. Their identity is determined by his. And if that is you, this is what God the Father says of who you are. Verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is the temple, but here those who trust him are being built up as the temple. Jesus is the great high priest, but here those who trust him are becoming a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices. Their identity is filled out, again down in verses 9 and 10, in words that recall so vividly the descriptions of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and especially in that great covenant passage, Exodus 19. Who are these people? You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see here that those who trust, who believe in, who honour, who hope in the Lord Jesus, are given the identity that was originally given to the nation of Israel. They are declared to be mediators to the world, to stand between God and the nations. 
Do you hear why God has given this role to his people? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Do you see, to be part of the temple, to be part of the holy priesthood, to be chosen, to believe, to trust, to hope, to honour in Jesus is to declare his praises. God is saying through his word today that if you put your hope in Jesus, that is who you are. He gives us this identity so that we will declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is who we are. Now, we need to know that, we need to hear that, we need to tell one another that because that's not what the world thinks we are. That's not who the world is telling us we are. That's not how they are describing us. We think we're living stones, they think we've just got rocks in our heads. And you've got to work out which one do you believe? Who do you think you are? The world we're being sent out into loves the darkness more than the light, does not want Jesus to be the cornerstone determining what is true for their lives or anything else, does not believe and has no intention of obeying him. And if we are identified with Jesus, they will not like us either. We are strangers and aliens in the world. But do you know who you are? Do we accept the world's verdict? Or do we believe what God says about who we are? See, in the end, this is a passage not about how you want to be identified, not about how you could be identified, but about who God says you are if you trust Jesus, if you believe and honour him. You have been given new birth into a living hope and this is who you are. And I keep on saying you here, but you know that our problem in English, and particularly in an individualistic country like this, is that, frankly, I'm not talking to you. I mean, I am, I'm, but I'm talking to you all, right? That's, the, the point is that this is who we are, not who you, I am. This is who God has created us to be. The most important things that there are to know about our identity are not about us as individuals, but the people that God has created us to be. That is who we are. Now, of course, there's more to say, and you're a wonderful individual. I appreciate all your little idiosyncrasies. That's, that's terrific. But the most important things that there are to say about you if you follow the Lord Jesus, are exactly the same things that we will say about every other follower of the Lord Jesus. That is who we are. And if God has said that you are chosen, that you are precious, if he has made you part of his royal priesthood, do you see that he's only done that in verse 10 by his mercy? Who we are is entirely by the mercy of God. Now that radically changes 
a whole raft of anxious conversations in our world. Do you see, I am not special because of what I can do or what I've achieved or what I know or how clever I am or how many friends or likes or followers or twits I have. I am not special because of what I have achieved. We are who we are by the mercy of God, by the grace of God, despite what we do, not because of. Now, of course, we love to be affirmed and it's great when that happens. We always take notice of what other people say. But like you, I'm living in this the age of social media, we're, all of that's been supercharged to such a degree that it's very difficult, if you're engaged in that world at all, to not be overwhelmed by all of the opinions that the world has about you and to hear that voice as utterly oppressive. As we work hard to project the image that we want to project... There's a cynical world just waiting to shoot us down. And it is utterly anxiety-inducing. What if the approval never comes? Even here at college, I know that we can feel a particular pressure to try and project the idea that we have it all together, that we know more than we really do, that we're capable of being better than we really are. That we are better than we really know ourselves to be. But here again, what God says about us, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And I want to say, what is somebody else going to give you, say of you, approve of you that's going to be better than that what are we waiting for somebody else to endorse about us that's going to top that who are we listening to we've got to feel the the cool liberating breeze of the mercy of god that we are who who we are by his mercy Nothing we ever do or achieve will raise our value in God's sight. No one else's approval can compare with this. We don't have to put ourselves out there to prove something in order to be valuable. We don't have to create a facade, a mask of success, achievements. The more I look to Jesus, the more I focus on him, the less anxious I am about your approval, frankly. It's liberating. It's liberating. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that that suddenly takes all of life's problems away. You know, it's the context in 1 Peter is uh, that that they are strangers, aliens, exiles, likely to face opposition. We should expect to be opposed. In fact, if we do live as men of hope, we will stand out and people will notice. 
And I think what God is reminding us of in his word this morning is that when that happens, we ought to be unafraid to speak out. Unafraid of losing the approval of people around us. And more concerned with declaring the excellencies of the one who has called us out of darkness into his marvellous light. Knowing that he has chosen us, that we are chosen and precious in his sight. God has given us new birth into a living hope. But our hope is stirred not as we try and be more hopeful, not as we focus on the things that work out whether we are a hopeful person, but as we look to Jesus. As we look to Jesus, as we focus on him and on his resurrection, And one day, very soon, we will be raised to be with him forever, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses gathered around the throne of God and the Lamb with people from every tribe and nation and language singing praises as part of his chosen people, his royal priesthood, the holy nation, the ones who have been shown mercy, the people of God. Because, brothers, that is who we are. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you relate to us by mercy and not by merit. And we thank you, Father, that we don't have to cultivate an identity for ourselves, but that you have made us who we are. And Lord, we do pray that you might free us from the anxiety of living for the approval of others and instead rejoice in the approval that we have with you through the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that knowing this would liberate us. We pray, Father, that we would be marked out, seen, noticed to be men of hope. And we pray it for the glory of Jesus. Amen.